It is October, I mean, excuse me, November, as I said earlier, when we start talking about things that we are thankful for. And before we move into this time of the Word, I know that this weekend is a day in our nation where we say that we're thankful for uh, people who gave of a certain service, who gave of their life and their times to serve in the protection of others, to uh, protect religious and civil liberty. And so today, if you are one of our veterans, would you stand? We just want to thank you and, and thank you for your service and what you've done for this nation and the fact that we get to still do what we do here because of the ways that you serve. So if you're a veteran, please, please stand. Thank you. Thank you. We do honor you and are grateful for the ways you have given to this nation and thus given to us. Um, today, we are going to continue our series in the letters to First and Second Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 6, so if you want to go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, and if you don't have a copy that you brought with you or you don't have a copy at all that you can read or understand, uh, you can pick up one of these pew Bibles that's right there in front of you and turn to page 1014 if, if you're not familiar on how to search out what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 looks like. I, I would be foolish to say that everybody knows how to do that. Not everybody had Bible drill or vacation Bible school. So we're page 1014. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word that you can read or understand, it's our pleasure to give you a copy. So you can take that copy that you're picking up right now and you can take it home with you. You can write your name in the cover and it'll be yours. Uh, it's our great pleasure to put the Bible in someone's heart and hands, and so that's our gift to you today. Um, so, last week was a doozy. We were in chapter 5. I asked some of you to send uh, your, your younger ones out because it was a hard subject to deal with. There was some confrontation. And um, chapter 6 is also a doozy. It's, it's one of those that is, that is not nearly as picturesque as chapter 5 was on what was going on and the wrong in Corinth, but um, still difficult. And I was sharing with my wife about, man, it's just like these messages. I know it's needed. All the Bible is needed. We need to teach the whole Word of God, not just little snippets that, that make us feel good, all of it, so that we can correctly follow after the Lord. But I was telling her about how difficult it can be and how like you know edgy it can make me at times. And I love my wife and her encouragement. I'm so thankful for Melinda. Uh, she says, well, you know, you can either pre- preach it or go get in a big fish. And I was like, okay, do I want to be eaten by a big fish or, or preach it? You know, I know it's a metaphor today, but Jonah, you know, he refused to preach and the word God had given him and, you know, big fish. And I don't want that. So here we are today. You're welcome. And I'm thankful for her encouragement, so you can say thank you for her for that later as well. But we're going to be in chapter 6. Now, chapter 6, um, once again, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's not that he wrote it out in chapters and verses. That was later on put into the Bible for us to kind of find our way quickly and get to a passage without having to really read through all of a scroll and skimming down to find where the the person was speaking from. So it's more of a tool for us that we've added. But Paul continues his letter in talking about moving on from sinful, habitual behavior in the church to civil conflicts in the church. Now, I know that we're at Eastgate and we've never had civil conflicts. Never. I mean, we've just never dealt with those problems before, right? And you, 
and I being good Christians, that never even applies to us, right? Well, obviously, we deal in a, live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there's still battles with the world, the culture, with sin, with flesh, with the enemy. And so conflicts are going to happen. Some of them, battles that are spiritual and dealing with sin. But what we see is even in civil conflicts and how we deal with them, they are going to say something about who we are, what we trust. Now, last week we talked about the fact that we have, as humans... All of us, not just few of us, all of us have a great problem. And any great problem, if it's going to be resolved, requires a great solution. And that overall solution that God has given us, the one that changes our life to the very fiber of our being, is the gospel. It's the message that God, who is holy, who is great, who is loving, who is counselor, is just. And He has all authority because He is the author which is the root word of authority, and he has the one, he's the one that calls the shots. Why? Because he made it all. He owns it all. And whenever he sees the offensiveness of sin, and sin is not like, oh, we have little problems, it's a little thing in my life, a little habit, it's just a little bad thing. Um, sin is what is called in the Bible direct offense to God. It's rebellion against His holiness. It's a rebellion against His name. It's rebellion against His nature. It's rebellion saying, I want the authority rather than the one who owns it. And God answers that with good news. He answers that bad news with the greatest news. He gives us Jesus who came and lived the perfect sinless life that we didn't and then died on the cross the death we deserved. He was our substitute. He was the only sufficient substitute. And dying, He paid the penalty and He was buried and rose again showing that not only did He pay the penalty, but the check cleared and He overcame death. That death is not bigger than God. That sin does not overcome God's holiness. And what does that mean for us? The Bible says that now that we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. That we have a personal response that is required of us. What will we do with this Jesus? That answers our problem. Because if we answer the problem of, tr- uh, of our, our problem with the solution that God has given us, then our eternity is changed. That urgency of eternity, whether it's heaven or hell, life or death, blessing or curse, that is answered and we inherit and are gifted eternal life with God. It's a gift. But the Bible also tells us that it transforms our life here and now. It's not something that we wait for. If that was the case, we really would have no need for church. We'd have no need for singing praises. We would have no need for anything. We would just be like, all right, I'm saved. That's it. I'm just waiting for the day where I check out and change neighborhoods. But the Bible is given to us that in this life, our life is transformed and begins to mirror that which Christ has done within us and prepare us for that day with Him. Now, my wife will tell you, if you were to ask her, does pastor ever deal with looking in the mirror? Some of you may think, he doesn't always match. His socks are just kind of weird at times. That hair, I don't know what he's doing. And she would probably tell you, oh, he spends quite a lot of time in the mirror. And it's not because I am vain. I am that, but... It is because I realize that if I do not stand 
in front of the mirror, then this only gets worse. This only looks more pitiful, more out there. And I've got to do some correcting. Because when I wake up, I realize that there's a conflict. I didn't go to bed looking that great. And I certainly didn't wake up looking that great. And so I've got to look in a mirror to get my reflection seen and adjusted. Now, I don't want to drop this mirror, so I'm going to just do this right here. And try to secure that a little bit more. There we go. Maybe that's better. All right. And when I look in a mirror, I can realize, all right, there's some things wrong. There's some hair out of place. There's some teeth that need to be brushed. Amen. Glory to the Lord. And there's things that need to be done because I'm looking in the mirror and I'm able to see that everything's not in the right place. It's got to be fixed. And what I've noticed is that conflicts in life, as we're going to get to in the text, they help remind us that things need to be fixed. They need to be adjusted. When we have conflicts, they're like a mirror that helps us to look back at ourselves and say, all right, something's got to be dealt with. Take this week, for instance. Now, this is not meant to capitalize or monetize on any of the situation that happened in Texas. Horrible, horrible tragedy that happened in the loss of life there. But it helps us to think about what's going on even here. Not so that we have a spirit of fear, but so we have an alertness, an awareness to some of the things that we could do better. We can't prevent any tragedy from ever happening. But we can take precautions to help be aware of things that might be, you know, troublesome for us. I've talked about this. I love Eastgate. And I love the fact that we have a great familiarity. We know people by name, kind of know where they work, where they're from, where they live, what their favorite sports teams are, whether it's blue or green or or other. And, uh, you know, we know these things about people. But it's also one of our greatest assets. It's also one of our greatest liabilities because it doesn't force us to really deal with situations. And now conflict has happened in a sister church and it makes us look back and say, well, there are probably some things that we need to do to improve. Now, the lesson today is not about that. It's just addressing some things that we need to think and consider. What is Paul going to teach the church at Corinth? What is he going to write to them when it comes to dealing with these conflicts? Well, let's stand together in the honor of God's Word and go back and see what the text is saying to them and thus saying to us. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, he says, If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you? Take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters... Do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother and that before unbelievers. As it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, 
You yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, homosexuality there, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom, God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this. Key word on used to. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. Let us pray. Lord God, use Your Word as only You can today. Speak to us with truth and grace and love. And show us the greatness of your love in all of these. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, conflicts are like a mirror. They help us to reflect on our lives, reflect and look at others. Many times when conflicts happen to the church, it has the world looking at the church and seeing how people will respond when conflicts happen to our nation and Christians respond. It helps them look a little deeper at what's going on and think a little harder about this message and why Christians do the things they do. At the same time, when conflicts happen and Christians respond with erroneous gestures, with hate, it also brings people looking a little harder at things and thinking whether or not they would want to be a part of that. And so how we respond to conflict matters. It matters immensely. And Paul is stating this because how we respond to conflict, the world is looking and seeing whose reflection are you giving off? Is it an image fashioned by your own hands or is it an image fashioned by God's hands? Reshaped by the Gospel. Paul has already dealt with the fact that in the case of spiritual matters, something must be dealt with that is very strongly strong when it comes to church discipline. That if someone is utterly unrepentant and rejects the correction of God's Word, of God's compassionate brothers and sisters, not casting stones because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but intervening for the sake of a soul of their brother or sister in Christ, then that person is to be removed from the congregation. If this is a habitual rejection of truth, grace, and love. That's a spiritual matter and must be dealt with accordingly. But then Paul says there's something else going on in the church of Corinth. What's going on with you guys is you just love to sue the heck out of people. You just love going to court. You love seeing the treachery and the judgment and, and who's stabbing someone else in the back in a court in front of other people. And then what is the lost world saying about you as a group of believers? They're in Corinth. Now you may say, well, people have to deal with actions. People that are wrong people. I understand that. And Paul is not going to the fact of criminal charges. Criminal charges, as Paul would say in the letter to Romans chapter 13, that the emperors, the rulers, were appointed and given a sword by God's hand to deal correctly, to, to, to protect those who do good and to deal harshly with those who have done evil. So this is not the matter of criminal actions. But in the Greek days... Going to court was a form of entertainment. That's not our days at all. 
I mean, we don't have shows like Judge Judy or Judge Mathis or Texas Justice or The People's Court or Court to Room TV or C-SPAN or, oh, wait a minute, we do. It's entertainment. And some of these for really silly matters. Really silly. And people that would claim to have a faith not demonstrating that in the moment. What does the Scripture tell us? What does it display about the intended reflection that we are meant to carry that honors God in this world? If these conflicts bring people to look a little bit closer in what they're supposed to see, what does the Scripture say needs to happen? Well, first of all, Paul wants to make it clear that conflicts will be a reality. They're going to happen. So don't think that you can escape them. Don't think you can avoid them. Don't think you can pretend they're not there. The Bible lets us know that in this world we will have trouble. And sometimes that trouble is with others. Sometimes that trouble is with the world. Sometimes that trouble is within the church itself. That there will be times where brother is wronged against brother and sister against sister and brother against sister and sister against brother. Those times will happen. Church of Corinth is a good case in point. Sometimes people have conflicts with God and they'll take it out on others. They'll have conflicts with what God is telling them about their life, but they're so avoided they take it out on others and try to drag them with them. Conflicts will be a reality. Paul is facing this head on. He is not just kind of skirting along the edge and saying, look, this is a problem. Because what you're doing is, now that the, you know that conflicts are going to be a reality, he's not saying that they're not. But how you're addressing them is completely errant. It's completely off the Richter scale on where you need to be. Display number two is not only that conflicts will be a reality. Display number two that, that is given to us from the Scripture is that conflicts will require a resolution. If there's a problem, it requires a solution. Because if you don't have a solution, guess what you still got? P-R-O-B-L-E-M. Problem. And when you don't deal with one problem, guess what? It's like multiplying little virus thing goes on. Sometimes it just begins multiplying all over the place. And what began as a really small, itty bitty problem is now blown into this full scale thing where you're just like, what is going on? When I'm reading through this letter to the church at Corinthians, I'm thinking about this. What is going on in the church at Corinth? This is not an easy letter to read through. Not an easy letter to teach through. But what Paul does is he doesn't say, oh, you know, it'll all figure itself all out. One day it'll just be right. One day the Lord will make it right. He says, no, get it right. Wake up. Wake up to the fact of what Christ and the cross has done for you and the fact that this has implications even now. Verses 1 and 1 through 8 talk about the reality of problems and, and the resolution that's needed for problems. But then it shows, when Paul's talking about this, he says, here's the things that matter. How you deal with the resolution matters. Where you deal with the resolution matters. And why you deal with it matters. He says some things you guys are doing is you are taking what is a really civil thing and some of it is wrong. You have wronged. You have cheated. And you've taken this case. And instead of dealing with it brother to brother or sister to sister or brother and sister or sister to brother, you know, what you're doing is saying, you know what, we're going to take this outside of the church. We're going to someone that don't even know Jesus, don't even know reconciliation in the greatest degree, and we're going to have them dictate something, and it's going to be all public knowledge about all this. Now, this is not Paul saying, well, try to hide your problems. He's saying, but be 
transparent among yourselves. And if God has given you a right that in the end of days, you are going to sit on thrones and judge angels who have distanced themselves away from God. Those that the devil led with him. You're going to be given authority to judge them under the authority of your Father. And if you having that authority, you can't judge this little civil matter in a way that is God-honoring, in a way that is Christ-honoring, in a way that doesn't defame the name of Jesus to the world. Because the world is looking in your complex. The church is looking at brothers and sisters, elders and young ones in the middle of conflict. How will they deal with this? And unfortunately, sometimes when they see conflicts in the way sometimes even church people teach, treat each other, they just say, walk away. I, I don't need that. Because they look in the mirror and it's reflected through this conflict and they say, Mm-mm. no, where's God in all of that? The how matters. The where matters. The why matters. Because Paul is saying in this whole letter that all of it is pointing to the fact of Christ in His magnificence, in His authority, and what He has graciously given of Himself for our reconciliation, for our redemption, for our salvation. And does that make an effect from the inside out? Does that not change how we handle conflicts? Display number three. Not only will conflicts be a reality from multiple places, not only do they require resolution because if you don't deal with the problem, you still got problems. But conflicts will often expose painful reminders. Painful reminders. When Paul is talking about how you're having people judge you, he's saying, you know, you need to be careful of, of, of who you're listening to and who is responding. Because everyone's got their G-O-D. They've got their little thing that they worship. That means more to them than anything else. And wouldn't you rather have someone that can give you guidance, give you counsel, be wise in your time of need, than someone who has a little G-O-D somewhere else? Like, and then he goes on a little further, like you used to have. Because some people's little G-O-D that becomes their identity. It becomes their label. They begin taking it on. And Paul is reminding the church that this is a painful reminder of you. He says, don't be deceived. Immoral people. Left to themselves who just love immorality are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's their little G-O-D. Those that are idolaters. They carry that label. That identity. That's their G-O-D. That's their God. That's what culture tells them it's all about. In, in, in the day and age where Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, it's a city that celebrated sex and celebrated idolatry. And they brought the two together with the temple of Aphrodite. One of the great wonders of the world was there in that place. So people from all countries would come and celebrate and worship in these ways. But all of them have these 
little gods that they that in that day was their identity. It's not much different from today, honestly. We may not have a temple where people go and they sell themselves to prostitution. Or maybe we do have those. But the problem of immorality, culture says there's nothing immoral about that. The Bible says it requires repentance. The world says it requires redefinition. When it comes to idolatry, we don't call it that, but, you know, you serve me, myself, and I. You serve your impulses. You serve your job. You serve fill in the blank. Sometimes these things are good things, but we've elevated them above the God things. And we carry that identity. Some of it was fornicators and adulterers, people engaged in all kinds of sexual activity. Some of it was, let's see, what does it have here? Um, people that would be labeled with the terminology gay. It says here males with males. That's the actual translation there. But even in Romans, it talks about how that's not natural and that's how um, God never intended that identity. This is not a judgment against gay people only. As you see, there's a whole list of things here. By the way, um, this label... I've never chosen this lifestyle or not. I'm not. But I'll be honest, as a kid, when I was in middle school, when I was in high school, I was the non-athletic, wimpy, smart, artistic kid that really just loved play. I was a big kid for a long time. Had a brother I took care of, had to watch out for him. And so guess what? Because I wasn't the beefy good old boy, that wore camo 24-7, because I wasn't the jock that was out there sweating muscles on the, on the football field, and because I actually got good grades and I cared about art, this label was given to me quite a bit. He must be that. No, I wasn't. I was just a nerd that couldn't get a date. But I'll tell you what, it would have been easy to listen It'd been easy to listen to a label that was attempted to be applied on my life and to say, well, if I can get attention in this place, and there were offers, who knows? But I never chose that, but it's a label people often tried to put there. Let's see, what other labels there? Thieves. By the way, this was a problem that plagued Corinth. In other cities of the day, security wasn't exactly always the highest priority there. So often people's um, gymnasiums and bathhouses were the most robbed because they were easy pickings. But you didn't have a lot of locked doors, a lot of closed windows and, you know, surveillance going on. So thievery was a problem. That's why Paul addressed it. He says, you know, if a man does not work, don't let him eat. You know, there's no such thing as thieving in the kingdom of God. Let's see. Greedy. That's there. People that live just for their own indulgence. Let's see, what else is there? Um, Drunkards. People looking for other intoxicants to help find their escape. Let's see, what else was a label they were carrying with them? Um, Abusive. Hmm. 
Name calling. What else? Swindlers. That's the terminology this version uses. Cheats. And here's what Paul says. Don't you know that the people of this world that have not yet followed Christ, they're following after someone. They have a little God. And that has a part to play in almost every decision that someone makes. But you who are called by the One who is holy to be holy are made different. And God has done something in your life to shape you and to put your mind at ease that God who has given us His Word, who has given us His Son, who has given us His promise, His presence, has ultimate authority over our life and thus helps us deal with conflict. And here is the better thing. Some of those are things, problems that maybe some of you still face. And it's a label whenever you look in the mirror, you're like, man, God must despise me. God must hate me. How can I trust His grace? How can I really deal with it? How can I ever know? How can I ever be useful? How can I ever serve? And here's what God is telling us. Some of you, you used to be. You don't carry those labels anymore. They're gone. They're not there. You used to be that. But what Paul is saying is that through Christ, something happened. While you used to be lost, God has given you a new identity, found, loved, cherished, cleansed, saved. You were lost, but as Paul says, now because of Him, these conflicts are revealing, having an opportunity to reflect your redemption and your Redeemer that says, yes, I used to be like this. Yes, this used to be the priority of my life. Yes, this used to be the label and identity I carried. This is who I used to be. But thanks be to God and His glorious redemption that I was lost, but now I am washed. Those labels, they're gone. When God looks at me, He says, clean. Whenever I look at my life, I am thankful that what I've done in my life, the stains that were there, Jesus has washed away. Isaiah 1 verse 18 tells us, whenever God is looking on the people who are trying to get clean in all their festivals and all their different rituals, He's saying, look, I'm sick of these things. What I want you to do is to come to Me. Be reasonable now and come to Me so that while your sins be like scarlet, I can make them white as snow. While they're red as crimson, I can make them like wool. I wash you. Make you cleaner than you could ever be on your own merit. I sanctify you. What does that mean? It means that God not only makes us clean, He makes us holy. He has given us a new identity that is unlike any other. Because holy means set apart. That's one thing about God that's so unique for me. Else, He's holy. He is set apart from like anyone else. And He said, what I've done to you is I've set you apart. I've made you holy. You don't have an identity like anyone else. Are you reflecting that? That you're washed? That you were what lost, but now you're washed. You're made holy. And being made holy, the Bible says that God is our sanctification and our sanctifier. That in Christ, He gives us a new title, a new identity. But as we grow, we're coming to mirror that identity, to look like it. That you are justified. That you are legally set free. You are pardoned from the penalty, from the judgment that was upon you. 
that you are saved. You are saved from anything the world puts on you. And the question is, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? What do you see? You see someone that carries all those labels? You see someone that's got to be made right by by taking others to court and, and making them feel bad about their conflicts? Or do you see who Christ has made you to be? Washed. Sanctified. Justified by the Lord Jesus and His Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says if you have trusted Him, that is who you are. Now, reflect it in how you react with one another and how you demonstrate it to the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for this time we've had together in Your Word. I'm thankful for Your marvelous, marvelous grace. And I pray that in this moment, You would have Your way among us. That You would show us what it means to trust in You, to follow after You, and to help demonstrate Your grace, gospel, and glory to the nations, whether they are across the street or across the world, that will show love to our fellow man, whether they know You or not, but especially among the household of faith, there will be a kindness that says, God's grace abounds here. Now Jesus, in this moment, do what You will, and let us say yes. However you lead. In Jesus' name.